Welcome to The Pick, the premiere podcast from Mildly Pleased, which is Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. And boys, we've got a special one tonight. It's the end of summer, but that heat hasn't gone away, and things are getting steamy in our little podcasting studio. So uh, why don't we all just take our shirts off and... Actually, before we get to that, I have some uh, a little programming note. We're gonna we're gonna try expanding the podcast a, a little bit and add a, a second section, which we're gonna do first. So we're we're still gonna keep um, the pick as sort of the center of of the show. Um, and and as you know, if you listened last week or if you read the title of this post, uh, the pick we're talking about is body heat. But to, to give us a chance to talk about something else, we're, we're going to do some, I guess, little picks at the start of the show. Aw, little picks. Um, and these don't have to be movies. They're just anything uh, that, that each of us wanted to talk about. Uh, and they might not even be things the other two have seen. Can I pick, like, a, a bet, like a team to bet on for pro sports? <laughs> if that's how you want to use your pick. <laughs> Football season started. I'm just trying to get our fans lots of money. <laughs> Do you think you got the secret? Well, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess I'll go first, since I said my name first when we were doing that part of the podcast. Uh, so my little pick this week is <laughs> Stephen... We're calling it little pick. <laughs> it's kind of cute, right? It's maybe a little too cute. <laughs> we'll see. Sean little pick. Yeah. Is that a little bush? It, it just reminds me of a little bush. Little pig. <laughs> little pig. Bill Clinton saying We'll call it something next. You know, we'll have like a vote. We'll put on an online poll. Wow. Can't wait to see the four votes that decide what this Your uncle is could decide what the segment is called. Yeah. Um, so my little pick this week is Steven Universe the movie. It also uh, aired just a few days ago on Labor Day. Um, and it was the big, uh, you know, feature debut for this series. Um, it was it was aired on Cartoon Network, commercial free, um, and it's set uh, a few years after the season finale. So you don't technically have to have watched uh, any of the show to get the movie. Uh, in fact, it's very standalone. Uh, but watching the movie will give away a lot of what what has happened in the series and i guess that's that's sort of what was for me it kind of a disappointment at first but now i think of as sort of a strength of the film uh is that because the way the last season ended it felt like almost a series finale i went into this movie expecting this to be like the beginning of whatever the next chapter is for steven universe and it's not really that it's a like pretty standalone story i think probably whenever the next season premieres you wouldn't necessarily have had to watch this movie to pick up where things left off but i think that actually in the end will make this a much more rewatchable movie uh, and the and the fact that it's a like full-blown musical with not a ton of dialogue that's not accompanied with music um i think it just makes it a very fun uh and uh and, and I guess endlessly enjoyable. Is the music good? The music's good, yeah. Um, Chance the Rapper helped write one of the songs. Uh, there were a bunch of other collaborators. Uh, but the ones that stood out to me was they introduced a new character in this movie, uh, played by Ted Leo. Ooh. And they bring back Amy Mann's character, so that, which is pretty contrived, but it allows them to have a, a little... A little the both reunion. A little the both duet in this movie. That is... Um, kind of controversial just for what it is what it depends mean? it depends on how you interpret metaphors that sounds complicated in, in this series there's this concept of fusion where two people can become one person and um despite the show not really setting it up that way some people in the fan base interpret fusion as like sex hmm. And the people that fuse 
to make Ted Leo are people that should not be having sex. Um, so if you have that very particular read on this, it's kind of uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But I, I just that's not the way the show has ever framed it, so I, I think it's fine. And I really I think that's a, that's a great funny scene. Um, it's also the singing debut of Uzu Aduba in the series, the the actress who plays Crazy Eyes on uh, oh. Orange Is the New Black. And how she do? Yeah, she does real good. Oh, um, you know everyone on the show has to sing. It's just it's just the rules. <laughs> uh, a lot of them are singers. Some of them aren't, but. Uh, you know they hold their own, um, and I really liked the uh, the antagonist of the movie as well. It's a new gem character we've never seen before, mm-hmm. um, who's animated very much like a like a turn of the century cartoon character. Like she has pigtails that are like always facing the audience in the same way that like Mickey Mouse's ears are sort of like always okay. facing the audience. Yeah, um, and she's all stretchy and goofy and moving around. Is a she lot. like black and white? She's not black and white, but she's pretty monochromatic in, in her coloring. And it, it really reminded me a lot of uh, Cuphead, just seeing her. I'm wearing Cuphead shirt, Sean. I'm, I'm a big <laughs> fan of old-timey cartoons, yeah. particularly the movement in old-timey cartoons. Um, you have my attention. Yeah, I think that's probably enough. It's just, you know, it's a little pick. I don't need to go super in-depth. Do you guys have any, like, burning Steven Universe questions at this point? How much longer is that supposed to go? No idea. Whoa, that's can't tell if that's like frustrating or exciting they have i don't even know if there's a date for when the next season will start that's the weird thing about liking like i guess it's not independent animation but like that kind of more artsy animation it just it happens when it happens it's that's definitely been especially the last few years with the show it's just been like months and months and months of no word and i was like by the way steven universe is going to be like six episodes in one day yeah and then it's gone again for another. It's not months. quite the same, but also like how Venture Brothers just every once in a while. Hey, remember while. this show? Yeah, at least, at least when Venture Brothers comes back, it's like a season. Yeah, like Steven Universe because they're fifteen minute episodes. It could still be like four 15 minute episodes, and it's gone again. Like six months. That's crazy. That would drive me insane. <laughs> another thing that drives me insane is my pick. Ooh, I'm gonna. This is a, a special a special moment because this is gonna be the first official non pick. I'd like to non-pick Bicentennial Man, uh. <laughs> by which I mean not recommend. So guys, I watched Bicentennial Man, and I know this is an exciting moment. Colin, have you seen Bicentennial Man? I saw it in theaters. Whoa. When was, uh, that was a huge bomb, you know. Was that like nine? 99, 20 years ago. I've been waiting 20 years. years People waiting 20 years to oh, hear my thoughts it, and feelings. Was it the anniversary? No, it's December. <laughs> December. Okay. So if I need to watch it again, I think it's like December 17th. I don't know why I remember <laughs> that. Uh, but it's not that good. I was pretty disappointed. I just remember being really sad because it's like a movie built around watching a robot try to die. You know, the thing is, it tries to be sad, but I just thought it was dumb and creepy. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> Okay, so so the first yeah. the first twenty minutes is Mrs. Doubtfire with the robot. It's Robert Williams as right. Andrew. They only call him Andrew because the little girl mishears Android as Andrew, which is not funny. It's the Pepsi girl, by the way. Oh, and Samuel is the father. Right. And Rob Williams uh, is in this creepy robot suit. It is Robin Williams. I, oh, yeah, I verified this information. <laughs> He's in the suit. He's the in the suit the entire time, wow. even though like his mouth doesn't like. It's a puppet-controlled mask, like a mechanical-controlled thing. Like he doesn't, so he's just in a costume, basically miming around. That's but like, fun. he feels incredibly limited because he can't do, jump into Vince Scully impressions at any moment. <laughs> he has to stay self-contained in this robot character. Yeah. Um, and then as this progresses, he like discovers his humanity. He gets really into like woodworking and makes a lot of money off of that, like a ridiculous amount of money, like to the point where it sets him up for life. And I'm like, I don't think so. In this futuristic world, wood carving is that treasured of a skill. But okay, I'll buy it. It's interesting because you would think like, oh, people like it because it's boutique, right? Like it's a handmade thing in a machine-made world, but it's made by a machine. So it can't be that special, can it? And they never really go into the fact that like that's a selling point or anything. That like you, you just hear like, oh, it was really successful. And he's got, like all the money <laughs> in the world, so you get, you don't have to worry about him um, paying for all his upgrades later in the movie because that's what happens. He tries to become more human throughout the movie, uh, and at, later on he meets Oliver Platt, who's the best 
who's the saving grace. This he's the one <laughs> thing in it that's great, and he's like builds him a Robin Williams face and all this and a penis. There's a great conversation about him building him a penis. I really love the explanation of them trying to explain why they're going to give him a Robin Williams face specifically, like why they give the face of a 48 year old man. Mm-hmm. Andrew's just like, oh, I'm 62 years old. He's like, we can't give you an old face. We'll give you a younger face. Oh, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. We'll give him a 40-something-year-old man face. It's kind of like in Arnold Schwarzenegger movies when they have to like explain why he has that accent. You, you have to like work around to make it make sense. <laughs> but this movie's constantly jumping. Like, There'll be like a scene, like for instance, when Andrew goes to Sam Neill's owner and is like, I want to be free. And Sam Neill's like super mad. He's like, get out of here! And then it comes like 16 years later, and then Andrew's on his cabin on the beach, and the daughter's like, the dad's sick! And he comes back, and Samuel's like, you're my best friend, Andrew. It's like, <laughs> last scene, you said you hate him, and now you're friends again, because I guess it's been 16 years. But my main problem with this movie is that he keeps hooking up, or trying to hook up, with different generations of the same family. Mm-hmm. He's always like... First, he's like, kind of has a thing for Samuel's daughter, and then later on, like her granddaughter, and it they definitely like through the conversation you you figure out that he had sex with the the, the granddaughter, so that's like fucking gross. Like a woman, or uh, so a woman has sex with a robot that used to be her great grandfather's butler mm-hmm. i think i got that right it's very confusing because it spans 200 years because of the title yeah I, I remember that being a huge component it's and like, like i never felt like i'd seen so much time go by in a movie before when i saw it yeah and it's 132 minutes long okay yeah it was rough <laughs> good special effects though and good oliver platt so what's oliver platt's deal why is he gonna just dedicate his life to making Ron Williams a man. I think his dad, his dad used to do it. Um, so he feels and he like really looked up to his dad. Uh, <laughs> so he's carrying on the family business. <laughs> like a lot of people don't care about Robin Williams model of robot after as time goes by. Oliver Platt still has like a, a soft spot for this model. So are, are there's like more and more advanced robots. You know you don't see any other robots aside from that model throughout the movie. So I don't know. All you get to see is a couple of robots at the beginning, and then you get to see San Francisco become super futuristic. <laughs> mm-hmm. My favorite line being like, come on, Mom, let me use the credit disc. Because <laughs> that's what, more effective. What year did you say it started in? 2005. 2005. The year that robots came out. The year that robots came out. With also Robin Williams. With also Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big bet. Six but if you're, now, if you're an Oliver robots. Platt fan, though, you got to check it out. This and Lake Placid, what a double feature. <laughs> you don't see that guy that often anymore. He's really good. He's very good. Um, what, what do you guys want my pick to be? A TV show or a book? Ooh, I, I'm interested to hear about a book. A book. I mean, it's about music, though, so... Oh, of it's, course. It's a two- I thought you were going to say it was about a TV show. No. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll, I would ever pick, like, a fiction book, but... Because um, I just finished it yesterday. Um, it's called Divided Soul, The Life of Marvin Gaye. So uh-huh. it's a biography of Marvin Gaye. Um, and I, I usually don't read a lot of rock star biographies but his life seemed particularly interesting just because a big part of his life was like he he was deeply spiritual but he was also like kind of a sex addict and so there's all he's got all these inner demons that are kind of eating at him this whole life at at him his whole life and then of course there's the capper where he gets shot by his dad and that's that's how he dies and it's like the author does sometimes kind of frame his life as like a Greek tragedy. And sometimes I'm like, eh, that's a bit much. But a lot of times you're like, ah, eh, makes sense. He had a very turbulent life, you know, and clearly from an early age, like was very combative with his father. And so he kind of just like abandoned his family and found like another family at a Motown. And that's kind of an interesting part of the book is just through Marvin Gaye, you also get to see how Motown became this huge 
company in the the 60s that became like the biggest black independent company in America and was just turning out hit after hit but then Marvin Gaye was kind of in the background you know kind of watching like the four tops and the temptations and Diana Ross take off while he had like a few hits but then once he gets to the 70s and he's saying well I want to make my own music that isn't just trying to sell records he does what's going on and then he does let's get it on and then that kind of turns into another (laughs) whole saga where he's fighting with Barry Gordy over artistic control and then it's also even more complicated because he was married to Anna Gordy Barry Gordy's sister and their marriage just slowly deteriorates and then that kind of comes to a head in 1978 where gay like he's trying to get out of his record contract and like he's just thinking i'm just gonna shit out a record that i don't care about and then he thinks i'm just gonna make a whole concept album about my failed marriage (laughs) and he does it and it's like kind of a flop but it's a good album (laughs) and it's also interesting because he's one of those artists where he kind of just bared his soul on on his records or at least in the 70s where his albums got more uh more personal which which was that concept album uh here my dear Um, how do you spell here h-e-r-e not h-e-a-r yeah um and then like later in life he gets exiled to europe because of like he's evading the irs and a bunch oh, of tax shit, problems really? and stuff God. and then he comes back to the u.s after he has a, a big breakout hit uh with sexual healing but then like he kind of spirals into depression and drugs and he just like it seems like he just never stopped doing cocaine <laughs> like he was just doing it all the time for at least 10 years and then yeah there's the the one night in 1984 where he gets into a fight with his his father and his dad shoots him it's a hell of a thing yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really heavy kind of biography but really good and really kind of it makes you appreciate the records more too yeah. definitely enjoyed listening to his albums while reading the book too were you just like freaking out that you were reading this book and it just turned out that this week everyone's all excited about oh yeah i saw that this morning after i finished the book i'm like oh yeah there's this isolated marvin gay uh vocal track that was making the rounds on twitter yeah and i was it's, like uh, yeah of I course heard it through the grapevine yeah my reaction was of course of course marvin gay's a fucking great singer <laughs> like everything else in his life was a mess but he could fucking sing like mm-hmm. no one else Anyways, that's my pick. Your little pick. My little pick. Because it's time now to talk about the big pick. The biggest pick you've ever seen. Um, we're talking about body heat now, guys. You can stand there with me if you want, but you'll have to agree not to talk about the heat. I'm a married woman. Meaning what? Meaning I'm not looking for company. You should have said I'm a happily married woman. That's my business. What? How happy I am. And how happy is that? You're not too smart, are you? (laughs) I like that in a man. What else do you like, lazy? Ugly, horny, I got them all. You don't look lazy. <laughs> Tell me, does chat like this work with most women? Some, if they haven't been around much. I wondered. Thought maybe I was out of touch. Come on, I buy you a drink. I told you, I've got a husband. Remember that, like, sexual stuff we were talking about earlier? Just quadruple that. Sexual healing is a good transition. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, this is, this is a, a sexy movie. But it's also a film noir. Is that why you picked it? Yeah, why'd you pick it, Chad? <laughs> I Honestly, I picked it for the fact that it's a Lawrence Kasdan movie and the fact that it is a William Hurt movie. I guess I could talk about their histories. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan, obviously, is someone I'm interested in. We just saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in theaters, which was 
one of his first scripts he wrote on. I don't know if he wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. Maybe he it touched it up. It sounded like he wrote the script, but I think... The story was George Kaufman. Yeah, they had developed it before. George Lucas did come with the character and the overall concept. Mm -hmm. Phil Kaufman came with, like, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. (laughs) And then Lawrence Kazan made sense of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did a good job. Um, Obviously, he's been on my radar for all these years because uh, he went on to work with George Lucas on The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and he returned to the Star Wars franchise a few years ago when he helped co-write The Force Awakens and then led a coup d'etat to take over Solo and ended up being one of the credited writers on that. So I was doing some reading on Lawrence Kasdan because I I wanted to know how he got his start. Yeah. And I found this kind of interesting. So he's from Florida. Just a fun fact, which is great for a movie because the movie's all set in Florida. (laughs) Um, And he started in advertising, but throughout the 70s, he was just writing scripts and just kind of seeing what happens. You could do that back then. You could just write scripts and then send them, and then someone might buy it. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm -hmm. But his first script that ever got attention was a vehicle that was uh, supposed to be for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross, The Bodyguard. That the bodyguard that became the Kevin Costner movie, Whitney Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah Whitney Houston. So it's crazy that he wrote it in like 1975, and that movie came out in 1992. But and and if you look at that movie, it's still credited just to Lawrence Kasdan. So I guess they're using wow. the same script for all those years. Like talk about production hell. But yeah. that script got him attention, and then he wrote Continental Divide, which got him in talks with like uh, Spielberg and Lucas. What and is Continental guys. Divide? I've never. It's heard a of John that. Belushi kind of like oh we're out in the woods i'm a journalist and i'm with some chick and i'm grumpy but we're gonna see if we can get along i wanted to yeah was he involved in romancing the stone i don't think so i think that's strictly as a mecca's joint just ripping him off what year was romancing the stone was that before that must have been after this it's definitely after this because i know that this was kathleen this is like her breakout role yeah talk about that a little bit uh, but yeah, it, and it, then then he wrote this, I guess. Well, I mean, I forgot if it's the other stuff you just talked about, mm-hmm. um, Star Wars and whatnot. Yeah, you know, just Star Wars, and Indiana just Star Jones. Wars. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's 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 it says there's films that inspired it, but it's not a direct remake, right? It's an original story. Yeah, I don't, far, I don't think it's ever been credited as a remake even so though it's, it's definitely double indemnity yeah <laughs> so i just thought that was interesting though that like in the early 80s lawrence kazan who at this point could probably do whatever he wants decides to do uh, a noir story that's not an adaptation that's also contemporary I, I feel like there wasn't that much of that there's a lot of people telling stories in the past so i don't know i just thought that was kind of cool yeah. extra touch I, and i even i looked up the term neo-noir to see if if, uh, if that applies here and it seems like mostly that was a term people were using in the 60s and so this is even like post neo-noir i've never been sure what neo-noir meant for some reason whenever i hear neo-noir i always assume that had to mean like neon lights or something i hear really <laughs> the word neo or something i think of like how there's like kind of 80s futuristic neo-noir type movies how like blade runner's kind of like a yeah. neo-noir but sci-fi movie <laughs> A lot of neon lights and Blade Runner. See, that's so the thing. I'm so getting easy. thrown off by Blade Runner because there's so much neon in that movie. <laughs> uh, I, from what I could find, it sounds like like the usage of the term has always been like fairly broad. It sort of had a diluted meaning. So it does uh, just seem like anything after the sort of golden period period of noir, which is like mid '40s to late '50s. Sure. I think yeah, I think anything in the sixties is considered neo noir, which is weird, but also I don't know that there's that many noirish movies from the sixties, or at least that I can think of. I just think of the long goodbye. Yeah. That would that would be neo noir. Uh yeah, there's Chinatown nothing like sexy also. about that. Yeah, those are both like just getting swallowed up by the system and not standing a chance nothing sexy or cool <laughs> it's just miserable yeah um, but yeah let's um I, I said the other reason i was interested in william hurt but let's talk about that when we talk about characters so i'll tell you a bit about the plot now um which is that uh it's uh, it's in the florida i guess sort of central i don't think they ever specify yeah 
I th- I'm, I'm guessing just central because he says he's... I think at one point he says he's gone south to Miami. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's coastal because you see some beachfront um, in some some small town. Um, and we have William Hurt playing Ned uh, Racine, who is this... Um, I think he's cocky, but he maybe he's just a bad lawyer. He just seemed <laughs> shitty. It seemed like he was fucking up... <laughs> And the judge is mad, and this is one of the first scenes. One of the first scenes, like, yeah. You need to get your shit together. He's like, you're really fucking this up. Um, make your client take a plea deal. Um, and we see him, he goes to commiserate uh, at this diner uh, where he hangs out with his two friends who are uh, Ted Danson, who is the prosecutor he just lost a case against. Um and uh, and J. A. Preston, who is a uh, police detective named Oscar, and he wears a pork pie hat. Sure does. It's important if it's a noir <laughs> film. Somebody has to wear. Somebody that has hat. to wear one. Um, and this is kind of like one of the first things I, I really noticed about this movie. Um, obviously, I b- believe in Lawrence Kasdan as a writer, but I thought he did a very good job, very immediately. Um, making the characters and the places feel memorable i think one of the biggest problems with film noir for me <laughs> is it's a lot of like dudes in suits talking fast at each other and it's just, just all staged in a series of rooms and just yeah and just a bunch <laughs> of like office bedroom office like yeah. bar and 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 this movie is also in bars and bedrooms and offices but it's in broad daylight. It's in the sweltering heat, um, and all these characters have these little quirks. Uh, you know, Ted Danson's character we all notice. You know, likes to do little tap dance routines, so he's always uh, dancing his way or, uh, out of out of the scene. Also, he did this thing where he kept ordering two sweet teas, and he was like pulling ice out of one of them for some reason. I don't know what the fuck that was about. <laughs> he's just a quirky dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the the focus is on Ned, um, and he goes out uh, that that same night that he loses the case, uh, looking to looking to get laid that night, uh, and that's when he spots Kathleen Turner, uh, who plays uh, a woman named Maddie, and he's uh, instantly you know, pursuing her. She's on her way out. He follows her. She rejects him. He doesn't care. He's trying. Um, ultimately. Uh, she disappears into the night, but he begins, you know, hunting her down. Basically, he he sort of deduces what town she must be living in, and he goes to the only bar in that town, and he finds her again. Um, and eventually, he uh, he does it. Mission accomplished. He, uh, he 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 wins, and they sleep together. Um, and and once they do that, uh, all bets are off. They are addicted to having sex with each other <laughs> you you'd want in another movie you'd say they're deeply in love but i and maybe you guys do see it that way but i do not see this as a love story i see it as two people or at least one person that really likes having sex with the other Man, person addicted to sex and um and as they uh it's, she lives in this massive house and she says her husband's never around because he's always away on business uh, but nonetheless, they have a few close calls where they almost get caught. Um, and so Ned comes up with the idea of, let's kill your husband. He says, you know, we could be happy together without your money, but having your money would be pretty great. <laughs> and so that's when we finally get to meet her husband, who is... Um, Richard Crenna. Rambo's boss. Rambo's boss. Who's not Rambo's boss yet. Because <laughs> I think Rambo's like a couple years out from this. But but we all know that's what he's destined to be. <laughs> see it in his eyes. Yeah. You think there's going to be in the new Rambo like a flashback or a ghost or something? I mean, they, Probably flashback. They did that in the last one. Do you think they're going to keep doing that? Yeah. Is your Rambo's boss in all of them? I'm not very In the first, well in the first three. In the first three. Okay. He's not actually like his boss. I don't know what you're talking about. Very... <laughs> say he's Rambo's boss he's just like some general guy colonel okay uh, but yeah if they already did it Lee's looking pretty nerdy in this movie he's got like most 80s dad glasses you've ever seen in this movie so um so Ned uh with with Maddie's help 
does kill uh, Richard Crenna. And uh, with the help of a very young Mickey Rourke, uh, hides. An unrecognizable Mickey yeah, Rourke. Totally. Have you guys seen Mickey Rourke these days? You gotta look. You He's gotta Google. A lot of Botox, right? You gotta Google Mickey Rourke 2019. I'm gonna do it right now. Everyone, everyone listening to this, Google Mickey Rourke 2019. If you're driving, pull over. If you're driving, pull over. Uh, you know, don't want to forget. Put on your hazards. Cool. Let me find a good one. Um, I'm just gonna turn and show Sean an image. <laughs> he uh, his face is completely smooth and he has long silver hair uh, and he's like wears very tight fitting clothing. But this is back when he's like a scrappy cool dude. He's like uh, he's like Michael Bean if Michael Bean was a good actor, you know. He's he's just a scrappy dude who can make explosives. He was such a promising. Uh, yeah, now punk. he's trying to turn himself to Jennifer Coolidge for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it goes to him because he knows about the bombs. He knows about, oh, specifically fire-starting bombs. Yeah. Because uh, his plan is uh, hide hide the body in a burning building uh, that obviously looks like he was trying to set on fire. And so looks like an arson accident, right? Mm-hmm. Let's break it down. Uh, did you ever think this was a very good plan? I mean, No. I mean, but because it, it's like, oh, he went to a meeting. I don't know what it was. That's the best they could come up with. I know. I guess it was really good. That they set him up as a shitty lawyer. They set him up as a shitty lawyer, and they also sh- set uh, Richard Crenna up as a shady businessman. Because there is one time where Ned meets them uh, at a restaurant, and they they're forced to share a meal together. And uh, and Richard Crenna talks about like you got to do whatever it takes to make a deal. Do you think he's shitty? Because obviously, like we learn more about the Maddie character, that kind of would give us a different, maybe a different perspective. But let's say you don't know about that, just from all the scenes you see with Edmund. Do you think he's like a shitty guy? Um, I think he's shitty in that he's evil. Like I like I I buy into his business is not good. Okay, but. I think it's interesting the way that she talks about him to Ned is pretty different from the man we're presented with because she talks about him as being sort of like weak and meek and like she like he can't satisfy her and then obviously this is like an alpha male dude uh, even though he looks like a nerdy dad he's in a slot car race but he's but you know he's hanging out in just his underpants and he's he, like as soon as he hears a noise he's like I'm gonna get my gun and shoot somebody. Uh, and and he and he's like and he, t- he tells Ned like if I ever found out someone was sleeping with my wife I'd like obliterate. Them. It's such a weird because like, because there's this awkward moment uh, where uh, Ned is with, at dinner with all of them mm-hmm. and uh, she 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 walks away just for a minute and then he like immediately brings that up. It's like just out of nowhere. <laughs> if anything ever happens, fucking kill him. Fucking kill him. Not good small talk. Yeah, maybe he, he must be pretty <laughs> shitty if that's his... Well, let's see. What can we talk about? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess we don't need to totally talk about the rest of the movie, but needless to say, from that point on, um, it becomes a complicated tale of uh, who exactly is planning what uh, as uh, Ted Danson and Jay Preston sort of team up to unravel the mystery of if... Uh, if Richard Crenna died in an accident or if it was murder. Um, and also there are hijinks relating to his will, um, which you're not sure immediately if that was a deliberate mistake or um, a choice the characters made. Um, because, of course, in this genre, everything has to get complicated towards the end. <laughs> Me? So let's talk about these characters. So, like I said, William Hurt was a big motivating factor for me. Um, it sounds like if you're going to start a William Hurt marathon, you should probably actually go one movie back and start start with Altered States, a sci-fi movie uh, that kind of put him on the map. But I don't know anything about that, and this one has to wear caveman and stuff. acting. Caveman acting? He kind of like turns into a caveman <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> Altering his state. Ah, I see. Mm. Does it give him like powers? Is it like good to be a caveman? I don't think so. 
I just unlike unlocks like some primordial like form in him. I, I've only seen bits and pieces. I read the first chat couple chapters of the book about twelve years ago. So <laughs> nice. I know a few things. Um, but that and this really kicked off a, a super epic '80s for William Hurt. Uh, some of the highlights I wrote down earlier. Uh, after this, he did Gorky Park. And then there's Kiss of the Spider Woman, Children of a Lesser God, Broadcast News, and um, The Accidental Tourist, which was a sort of reunion that yeah. has uh, Lawrence Kasdan writing and directing as well, and also has Kathleen Turner in it, um, before going on and being a little bit less notable sort of since the 90s. Stuff like Michael and Lost in Space, Dark City, he's an AI, uh, The Good Shepherd. He's an Into the Wild. You know, he's, he's history never... History of violence is a good thing. History of violence, sure. Um, but if you're if you're super young, uh, you probably just know him as the guy who took over for Sam Elliott as Thunderbolt Ross in the, uh, the Hulk movie, uh, The Incredible Hulk, uh, as well as going forward into um, the MCU. He's been returning since... I think Civil War was his first return, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he's the only one really keeping <laughs> the Incredible Hulk movie in continuity with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm glad we've gotten two references to Ang Lee's Hulk in our three-episode <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, I think William Hurt is, uh, is is doing a great job in this movie. They, oh, yeah. He has, um, I mean, he has to bear a lot. Not as much as Kathleen Turner, but a lot. Uh, he, t- he takes his shirt off many, many times in this movie. Um, and he also has to play a character who is like dumb enough to get caught up in this murder scheme, but also smart enough to, like, I guess, sort of come up with it on his own and like mm-hmm. keep up with the manipulations that are going on and try to stay ahead of the law. Um, and that's, I think that's not easy. I think you could very easily hate this guy for, um, just being a bad dude, or you could hate this guy for being an idiot and William Hurt's able to sort of find the middle ground between the two, um, and sort of, uh, you sort of, I don't know, you sympathize, I guess, a bit with his, with his downfall. At least I did. Also, he ends all his jogs with a cigarette. He <laughs> yeah. makes it look good. That feels like a very 80s thing yeah. to jog and then smoke a cigarette. That's just because he's so shitty. Yeah. He, he's inept. He's an idiot. He's a big dumb dumb. If he's breathing hard, he can take deeper puffs off that cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was also Kathleen Turner's first uh, feature film role. Um, and she uh, apparently attracted some controversy for the role some people think her performance is pretty flat Uh, I disagree but she is playing a character who I think we all agree her main thing is manipulating people with her body Um, which I don't know like, I don't know how much you, you count on the actor for that and how much you count on everything else related to the production to, to, to make her seductive. Um, I think it's having a presence, having like a confidence. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's just a physical thing. If you're trying to make a character really alluring, you have to have some sort of like charm or just an air about you that makes you that sort of intriguing and also... You know, I, I like, I guess, what what some would describe as her flatness because it makes her a little mysterious and which makes her, you know, more intriguing if you're looking at things from the point of view of, of William Hurt's character where you're like, I, I, I want to get in there <laughs> yeah. see what's going on. See what's going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's a good performance. Um, Ted Danson's also a lot of fun to watch. Ted Danson. Also, just like Richard Crenn, he's like so close to his famous role, but he's not there yet. Because Cheers starts in 1982. Just on the verge of it. Yeah. Just, he's almost in Cheers. Also, he looks quite. exactly like Clark Kent. Just yeah. There. What's up with that? And this is post that first Superman movie. They know what's going on. 
they do know what's going on. <laughs> Maybe Ted Dancer's making a hard play to be to replace Christopher Reeve as, as Superman. He just has more quips. Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know if Superman. I want a funny Superman. <laughs> Well, maybe now, in today's maybe day and now, age, after yep. we've just had the most serious Superman ever. Yeah. We need a new Dean Kane. Who's the next Dean Kane? <laughs> Except less creepy than Dean <laughs> Ted Danson could do it now. Ooh, old Superman? He's pretty old. He's got a white hair. Which is funny. Like it seems ghost. like Ted Danson's always had that. He's never lost that quirky charm that he has. Yeah. Yeah. Almost makes you wish he had not become like a huge star because he's he's very good at like a, a smaller character yeah, role like this, which is kind of really what he gets movies. to do on The Good Place. Um, I guess he'd be playing that now, but yeah. But then, yeah, he did kind of get to star in some movies in the eighties. Yeah, but he knows? did come back in a big way with Becker. Oh yeah. I don't like that period of Ted Danson, like the late 90s, early 2000s, where it's like, there's something weird going on with his hair. Like, he hasn't quite decided to go white yet, but he, you feel like he's darkening it. Like, if you ever watch the first season of Curb, or maybe it's the second season, one of the early seasons, it looks really weird, Ted Danson's hair. He was smart to go white. Well, and the other thing is he was going super bald. Yeah, so it's a combination of those. It looks bad. He eventually got hair replacement therapy. I think we've we've talked enough about Richard Crenna and and Mickey Rourke. Uh, there's probably not anyone else in the cast. Do you think they ever met over the course of filming in this movie? Yeah, I mean, why not? Because they're not in any seats together. Maybe at the premiere. Or you yeah. think Mickey Rourke was just hanging out on the set he's on the days that he wasn't filming? He's just bumming around. Yeah. He's got nothing to do except film diner. I think that came out the next year. Yeah, everyone's just on the cusp. Yeah. Looked up Mickey Rourke's in his late 20s. So. Not super young, but he just seems so much younger than the man he becomes. <laughs> what do you mean, Sean? His face is as smooth as a baby's bottom. He's like a statue. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Greek statue. He's more machine than man now. I watched this movie, I don't want to go too far into it, but it's called Nightmare Cinema that came out this year. It's like an anthology horror movie where he's the, like, the, what do you call it, the guy that runs the projector, the projectionist. Mm -hmm. And he, in the whole movie, he goes shirtless wearing a long leather duster. Nice. (laughs) So he can show off his, like, his six-pack the whole movie. And he's got that silver Magneto hair. And I was, like... I was like reading about like some behind the scenes and they're like we couldn't get him to take it off so it's just in the movie so he, he basically looks like a Final Fantasy character in the movie so he's like that football player that wouldn't trade in his helmet yeah he turned it around exactly <laughs> except he won Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke just won that life guys yeah he beat Hussein Bolt at that race <laughs> at a bar <laughs> he's a champion he's a champion man yeah, it's so funny how everyone was like on the cusp of like success. You know, one person who wasn't though, the composer, very well established at that point. Uh, John Barry. John Barry, man, he's the go-to Bond guy. I wanted to point that out because I love the music in this movie. It's super old school, super classy. It, it, it definitely feel at home in like a Bond movie. Like you can see why Kazan wanted him to mm-hmm. give it that old touch. Excellent soundtrack. What was the... Uh, did this movie get any award nominations or anything? Don't think so. Was it too sexy to be nominated? it too sexy to be taken seriously. This wasn't like NC-17. I don't know if it was. It was probably No. Hard. I mean, I don't know if the sex scenes are like that raunchy. They're definitely they very... some of the sex. Yeah. I mean, they're they're sexy, but they're not like... There isn't like a ton of thrusting in it or anything. They're, they're tastefully done, I would say. Yeah, but see, still. Here, here it is. There was originally more graphic and extensive sex scene footage, but this was only shown in an early premiere, including in West Palm Beach, the area it was filmed. Wow. That. Uh, Apparently edited out for wider distribution. In an interview, Body Heat film editor Carol Littleton says, obviously there was more graphic footage, but we felt that less was more. <laughs> Except you don't see any dong. The closest you get yeah, is when Richard Crenna's daughter walks into Ned getting a blowjob, mm-hmm. which uh, it, it, 
that, that's one thing I love about this movie is how things that seem like little details blow up later or become like a big thing later. The fact that she sees him there and that happening could yeah. potentially be important later. Mm-hmm. And you also you meet uh, the in the same way the other time they're caught. They're caught by her best friend, who ends up being a very important character yeah. at the very end of the movie. Yeah. But you otherwise wouldn't even really think about him. She's just one of the other people who knows. Are we going to go into spoiler territory with this? I guess we could. It's uh, an old, I feel like it's not a big deal if it's an older movie. Yeah, it's pretty old. <laughs> so towards the end of the movie, we find out that... Um, Basically, what's happened is, despite Ned's wishes, Maddie has filed a new will for uh, Richard Crenna's character, just like a few days before the murder happened. Um, and this was a bad move, because um, this is exactly the sort of technicality that uh, Ned had run into trouble with before in his past, which is not something that Maddie ostensibly knew. But it definitely flags him because now other lawyers are interested in how the same guy could run into this weird loophole twice. Because in the state of Florida, uh, if you file a suspicious new will and then die, it's rendered null and void. Which is advantageous to Maddie because if he doesn't have a will, all his money goes to her. And the will says he only gets 50% uh, because the other half goes to Richard Crenna's sister. So she found a loophole that maybe gets her all the money. But I'm was not it... doing the thing with your fingers where it's like money. Money. But the question is, was that a deliberate choice or was it uh, an accident because she wanted to get the, the will adjusted? Well, we know by the end. You know by the end. You probably know immediately <laughs> uh, if you're familiar with the tropes of the genre no I was I'm done I got fooled I got done tricked <laughs> um, so of course uh, it ends up being Ted Danson uh, that, uh, that sort of becomes Ned's lawyer and he's like they're, <laughs> they're coming in on you hard um and Ned doesn't really have any moves, especially because there's an obvious connection between him and Maddie. So he just starts openly saying, you know, they have a relationship and they're sleeping together. And everything starts falling apart. I think the ending to this movie works. Mm-hmm. But I could easily imagine some people be like, this, this is the dumbest shit. Because it literally ends with a character, like, on a tropical island, like... I win, I win, ha 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 ha. That's what she says. Yeah. She's a villain. <laughs> She's a villain. <laughs> and and I mean, I guess part of the in, in the in the forties and the fifties you expect, well, bad people get their comeuppance at the end of movies. Yeah. So she'd be like, I win, I win, and then some like generic cop guy's like, I don't think so. I don't think I was well, in the like, bushes the whole time. Or a shark. Yeah. Or a shark. Shark cop. <laughs> Why does it be a cop? Because it's gotta be a cop. Who else is gonna arrest you in a 40s noir movie? I think the shark gets you if it's like a Coen Brothers movie. Maybe the movie. cop arrests her and they get, you both get eaten by a shark. Because <laughs> he was a bad cop. He was a crazy too. cop. Yeah. He's taking bribes. Yeah, the the end of the movie is um, is Ned putting it all together, but he, in a way that he will never get any satisfaction. It's just. For his own intellectual curiosity. And and the audiences. Maybe. 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 <laughs> no, I think you're right. Because I, I don't think I would have come up with the like assumed identity aspect of the ending yeah. on my own. That's, um, that's a leap that I can't remember how he makes at this point. A lot of twists and turns. A lot of twists and turns. So many twists and turns. It's kind of a nice thing about watching a movie like this with so many twists and turns that you haven't seen in ten years is it's probably a good chance you don't remember all the twists and turns. <laughs> in fact, I remembered like none of them. So it is a little like watching the the story unfold for the first time. But do you find that sort of complexity at the end of a movie off-putting? Um, sometimes. 
if it asks you to make a really big leap, mm. like Shutter Island. Uh, but I feel like this movie, it doesn't like throw too much at you in a like too short of a time span. It kind of, you, it slowly unravels towards the end where you're seeing bits and pieces of information and that kind of ending to a, to a twisty noir type movie I'm okay with. I think it works because I think the movie sets its tone pretty early on as this is kind of an over-the-top throwback. This is a tribute to noir. And seeing as that's a very... I thought it was felt like a very noir ending. It felt very in step with kind of a lot of the over-the-top sequences throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so it felt fine. To me. I remember one of the early exchanges in their flirting is him saying um, you know, something like, you're too sexy to be wearing that. And she says, what do you mean I'm wearing a blouse and a skirt? He says, no, you shouldn't be wearing that body. <laughs> Um, so this is definitely not set in reality because I can't imagine someone saying that and then still being allowed to keep talking. Uh, but definitely sounds right for a uh, you know Chandler esque noir film. Oh, okay. Raymond, uh, Raymond, Raymond Chandler, Chandler, not Chandler, not from, Chandler from Friends. Dude, how good would it be if Matthew Perry in a Chandler like persona was in a noir movie? <laughs> Could I be any more of a cop? <laughs> Just like super like sarcastic and everyone be so everyone be rolling their eyes and everything. What? What? <laughs> that might have worked like twenty years ago. That that is nineteen ninety seven written all over it. Mm, love it. <laughs> Could have happened. They did make the whole nine yards, so not that that's yeah, a And the whole ten yards. <laughs> it's got some crime elements. Close enough. Yeah, it's got the the same, you know, the double indemnity thing as well. I've like I've never actually seen it. You've never seen double indemnity? No, I've never seen the whole nine yards. Oh. I've seen double indemnity. I don't remember much except that there's. I remember two scenes where, like, since he's a dentist, they fake mm-hmm. Bruce Willis's death by making like molds of his teeth. Right. And then a scene where Amanda Pete is like naked and distracts someone as they're getting killed. <laughs> Cool. She's married to one of the Game of Thrones creator guys. In real life? I wouldn't assume that happens in this movie. She's not married to George R.R. R. Martin. I didn't no, I meant like uh it was like David Benioff, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're Dumb thinking. Dumb question, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, what I meant by the connection to double indemnity was that's an like like John said, he's a dentist, and in that way, he knows a very specific way to like mm. make a murder profitable. Yeah, just like how in that movie, it's an insurance adjuster, and in this movie, it's sort of a lawyer, but not really. Like being a lawyer really does not help him navigate. The, <laughs> You'd think it would. The spider's web that he's in. He apparently doesn't know Florida state law that well. <laughs> <laughs> Looking up to see if the whole nine yards is available to watch. Getting me in the mood. Is that going to be your pick? <laughs> I didn't like it as a kid. Why would I like it now? It just—I didn't realize it was such a classic. Uh, you know, ode to to neo noir. <laughs> it's got a lot of elements. I'm just saying. But yeah, I think this movie is. Um is buoyed by great performances and um, just a, it does a, a really good job making you feel that intense heat wave that's going on it's just making everybody want to just take their clothes off uh, and like I said at the very beginning it's a, it does such a good job giving you places that are memorable as well um, feel lived in and unique and it makes it so much easier to remember what's going on when you can actually do a, a pretty good job of remembering who the characters are and where the places are mm-hmm. um, so something I remember when I would write write scripts for class it was always like how do I make like I, I know the characters names because I write them in the script but how do I teach people like these are the characters names without them just having to say the names over and over and over name tag what'd you say name tag, name tag. Have all the characters were name tags <laughs> Yeah, they the have Superstore like a... approach. Yeah. <laughs> That's why our Superstore is so successful, is because you know everyone's name. <laughs> it's so easy. He's also got his name on the door to his office. Mm-hmm. They usually do that in most 
noir movies. Yeah, exactly. it's usually a private detective, though. So, do you think uh, Matthew Perry had a name on the door to his dentist's office? Ooh, I bet he did. Good luck looking that up. I know, what was his name? I know that uh, Bruce Willis was Jimmy the Tool up to Desky. <laughs> Who did Matthew Classic Perry? Play? Classic character. Why is he Jimmy the Tulip? Uh, he's holding some flowers on the poster too. I don't remember. Maybe like he buries he buries you and then he puts flowers on top. That's my guess. I don't remember. It's okay. a lot of work to bury somebody. He must not kill that many folks. Matthew Perry's name. I've really been kind of stalling out this conversation already. Uh, really, I want to get to to a, a, everyone's favorite segment of the podcast, which is John's goofs. Okay. John's goofs. Okay, so in here's John's goof. Da-da-da, John's goof. I do have to ask: Did you notice these goofs, or did you look up these goofs? Uh, <laughs> it'd be pretty funny if I noticed this one, but I looked it up. Okay. Okay, so Ted Danson in the movie states that oral sex is not legal in Florida. Was not legal. Was not illegal. It is legal at the time of the movie. He states that oral sex is not illegal in Florida. Right. So, the Florida Statute 800.02 made unnatural and vicious acts, which included oral genital contact, a misdemeanor until all sodomy laws were struck down by the Supreme Court in 2003. Yep. Wow. So, there's not a funny one. Do you guys want a funny one? Let's see if there's any funny ones. Yes. Uh, you can see the shadow of uh, the crew uh, when they're on the pier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love that shit. <laughs> Those idiots. So yeah, sodomy laws. Those are a bummer. <laughs> Gotta do your homework, man. You should have known. Uh, Kazan's from Florida. Oh, and uh, Matthew Perry's uh, name in uh, Whole Nine Yards is Dr. Nicholas Oz Ozaransky. Ozaransky? Oz is his nickname. Oz. Okay. Ozaransky. Oz Ozaransky. Good thing they both have nicknames. <laughs> Because then you can have the dialogue. I was just talking about how do you learn someone's name. You say, well, my name's Nicholas Ozaransky. And then you can have someone else go, Ozaransky? What kind of a name is that? I'm going to call you Oz. That means his name's Dr. Oz. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Wow. I'm learning a lot about this movie. But it's not the pick. But it's not the pick, right? Or is it the pick? No, it's not the pick. Can it be the pick? No, come on. You make it your pick. I don't want these be shit. <laughs> Next time, maybe. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just I'll just pick all of Matthew Perry's starring vehicles from the late nineties and early two thousands. Is that where we're at? Are we on to to my pick for next for next week? We are on to so. your pick. I got one clue for you guys. Do 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 do. Um. Is it it? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, oh. it'll be. It'll, it'll have been out for a while by the time um, we actually get this that podcast out. Uh, okay. So it won't be like a hot hot take, but it'll be like medium hot. Pretty hot. I mean, the following week. Yeah, uh, but I mainly want to use that opportunity to talk about uh, just Stephen King and how he's still, you know, even in his mid seventies, everywhere and still <laughs> prolific. And the movie is getting kind of mixed reviews, so I think that'll be an interesting conversation. I'd like to talk about the first one a little bit too. I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna do a deep dive. Let me give you guys some homework. I'm not giving you homework. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you some questions. Do we have to watch the TV? It too. <laughs> you could have picked that also. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I rented it from the library. So if you want to watch it, just consult your local library. Okay. To go rent it on two VHS tapes, tapes, like I, I had to. Yeah. I'm ready for a deep dive because we all float down here. Meh. Meh, meh, meh. That's all I got. Well, thank you for listening to this super sexy podcast. Um, I hope you're ready for that next pick. And if you're interested in more content written by us, go to MollyPlease.com. And if you're li- and if you're listening to this and want to listen to more things like it, search for Mildly Pleased on iTunes, and you might just find other podcasts like this one well until the next time this has been the pick we'll speak to you later